Welcome to episode 282 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught, their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished, their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 282 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hey, Melanie. How are you, Cynthia? I am doing well. I've got both my kids back in school. Oh, nice. More um, me time for you? Well, at least they're not laying around the house. Like that's the one thing about teenagers is that they're they're kind of like bears. They come out to eat, they come out to you know be taken places, and then they spend a lot of time in their room sleeping. And so at least now during the day, my husband and I have a completely immaculate house. Unlike when they're home, they're essentially savages. So they're at least gone during the day. They're in school. They're being intellectually stimulated. It's all good. That makes sense. 
That's one thing I miss about being a teenager. It was okay to sleep like hours and hours and hours. It's interesting. My mom came to visit. My mom was very militant. You know, we weren't allowed to sleep in ever. And so she was like, you let your children sleep in? I said, yes, because they stay up late and they need the sleep. <laughs> and so that's always the place I come from. I'm like, as long as they get their work done and, you know, they get their chores done and they care, they have good grades, I don't mind if they sleep in. It's really not an inconvenience to me. My husband and I go have half a day to ourselves before they wake up. That's the way my mom was growing up as well. That is something to be grateful for, all the little things. Because that would have been miserable if she had made us get up. Oh, my mom was just tough. I think because she was a healthcare professional and was up early rounding and seeing patients. And so from her perspective, if she had to be up, we should be up as well. (laughs) Growing up, we would go to Sanibel Island in Florida every summer and I would always have a friend come with me. And it was funny because like, I loved when I had the friend that had the same sleep schedule as me and we would both sleep until like 2 p.m. Because some of my friends were early morning birds, so they would get up at like 10 a.m. and have to wait for me for like a couple hours. So this is not a new lifestyle. Oh, no, no. And that's what I I think I've talked about this before on the show. Like I, I feel bad about it. Like I feel like I should be a morning person. And every time I talk to my mom, my mom's like, Melanie, you've always been a late night person. You will always be a late night person. <laughs> Just accept it. We are very opposite. We are. And I'm jealous. <laughs> no, I, I was thinking to myself, if we were ever in the same location at the same time, what would be the optimal hours we would be up at the same time? I'm like, from 12 to 8? Yeah. 12 is pushing it. <laughs> 1 to 8? 1 to 9? Is nine pushing it for you? Nine is pushing it for me. Like at 30, I'm generally like, okay, I want to go like start getting my, P- I want to get on my PMF mat and like start getting ready for bed. It's so funny. Yeah. The socially acceptable hour that works for me to be like social is like seven or eight. Cause most people are still like, they'll get drinks at seven or dinner at seven. I know eight pushes it for some people, but In any case, we have something exciting to share with listeners. Actually, two exciting things. One, would you like to share the winner of your giveaway? I would. The winner of our giveaway was Louise Sparks. So we will be sending out your goodies within the next week. And I just wanted to take an opportunity to thank everyone for the wonderful, wonderful reviews that were left for the book. I'm so very grateful to be part of this community and very appreciative of everyone that submitted entries. Yeah, it was really wonderful to read all of the reviews that because I got to see them as well, obviously being emailed in. It's just so wonderful how supportive and kind and just wonderful the audience can be. Everybody can be. So thank you. And what was the prize? We had very generous individuals, companies that donated products to the book launch. And so there were some products from Designs for Health, some Redmond's products, all sorts of like fun goodies. Like it was overwhelming how generous these companies were. And so there were so much that was donated. We wanted to extend another option to share it with individuals that had read the book and loved it. So thank you again, Louise Sparks. Awesome. 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 And then another exciting announcement. This is an opportunity to both learn very important things and also win very exciting things. So how do you feel about EMF exposure, Cynthia? Well, we had our house evaluated before we built it. You know, the property and the geothermic forces underneath the house and 
We have special material that was laid underneath our floors and we have special... I'm so jealous. (laughs) We didn't do a canopy in our bedroom because I kept explaining to my colleague, I was like, I am going to have teenage drivers. I can't be in an environment where if there's an emergency and they're driving that I can't have my phone working. Maybe if they were a little younger, it'd be different. So I would say we probably did 50% of what was recommended to do it fully. A hundred percent would have meant that there would have been absolutely no Wi-Fi at all upstairs in our bedrooms. And I, I was like, that's not entirely realistic. We do shut down the Wi-Fi at night, much to our kids' disappointment, especially because they are bears and they're up all night. But like this house is definitely was definitely designed to be very conscientious. Like we have Ethernet cables. We like all of our computers are wired into the wall. I am so happy right now <laughs> to hear this. Same. I use Ethernet. Like I'm on a wired computer right now. I turn off Wi-Fi at night. And we've talked. You know the EMF product that I'm creating, right? The issue that you just expressed, which I know is an issue for a lot of people, like you need to have your phone on at night. So what do you do about that? I'm actually working with R right now. We're working on a co-branded product. I'm so excited. And it's going to be something to address that exactly. Like it's going to be something that you put on your nightstand and you'll be able to put your phone in it and it will shield you from your phone, but then you'll still be able to receive calls and to be able to charge your phone. So it's, I'm so excited. (laughs) So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, Definitely go to that link, shieldyourbody.com slash RSD. Enter to win the giveaway. Learn the two key rules to protect yourself and so much more. It's really important. And here's the one thing that I don't know if listeners realize that some of us are much more sensitive to EMF. Like I'm a canary in a coal mine. And so for me in my last house in Northern Virginia, there was so much external radiation and EMF that was coming into that house. Like as soon as we moved into that house, I stopped sleeping. And when Brian Hoyer came out and evaluated the house, he just, he looked at me and he said, you realize when EMF is this high, it upregulates cortisol and this is why you're not sleeping. And so I just started to cry because my husband thought I was nuts, but, but trying to explain to him that there are those of us that are just much more sensitive to it. And there are a lot of data centers in that part of Northern Virginia, almost as much as what they have on Silicon Valley. And so from my perspective, I think awareness is key, not to scare people, but just to bring awareness and then finding strategies that fit your lifestyle, I think is really important. Actually, when Jen was on the show, she had a whole experience because she, I feel like she's always moving. She moved into a house and started getting a lot of sleep issues and she thought it correlated to some other factors. And then when they were moving, she realized that her bedroom was like right by the power grid and was thinking that that probably had something to do with it. It's it's so true that it affects people more than others. And I actually also had Joseph Mercola on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast to talk about it as well. One of the really shocking things, and this is just kind of frustrating and it's kind of like reminds me of like the processed food industry or something, but the studies they use to set up safety regulations for cell phone use, like the models don't match reality. So like the way they test for safety is not the way we would be using our phones normally. It's not the exposure we would be exposed to. It's it's very, I don't want to say rigged, but there's a way they keep continuing to make these devices that are having these health effects. And it, it's really kind of binging the, the rules and it's upsetting. So 
But yes, there are things you can do. Shieldyourbody.com slash RSD. Cool. Shall we jump into some questions for today? Absolutely. This is a question from Erica. Subject is eating and insulin levels. I recently had a short conversation with Dr. Herring about insulin. Somebody on his Facebook page was talking about glucose and how if they have creamer in their coffee, their glucose doesn't rise after 30 minutes. I said if it doesn't rise, it's because insulin has been released and done its job. Dr. Herring then came in and said if insulin had done its job, then the glucose reading would be lower. I asked, let's say you start with a fasting reading of five, ingest anything, wouldn't the level go up to seven, insulin would bring the reading back to a five or thereabouts. Or are you saying that the levels should go even further down, say to a three? He didn't answer that question. Nearly three years living intermittent fasting now. Thanks to you two for keeping me motivated via the podcast while I walk. I will never stop as it's just my normal now. 50 kilograms gone. Regards, Erica. And Erica is from Western Australia. Perth is beautiful. Oh, you've been there. I have not, but you know, my my boyfriend before my husband, who my husband has actually met, was from Perth and the photos they had a farm there were just beautiful. It's considered to be one of the most isolated areas of Australia and the world, but the photos were gorgeous. One day I will get there. Oh wow. I want to look up pictures. I love looking up pictures of places. That's so cool. Well, Erica, first of all, congrats on your success with the weight loss and thank you for your question. And so I think this is a good question because it taps into a lot of broad concepts that I think people get confused about or have questions about. So I can speak briefly to it. So your blood sugar levels at any given time, there are so many factors that are affecting that. And what's really crazy to think about It's actually sort of mind-blowing if you actually think about it. The amount of blood sugar, so like she's using millimoles, right, to measure the blood sugar, but we in the US measure like, you know, in the 90s or 80s or 100s. That correlates to a very small amount of blood sugar, like a teaspoon, I think is what I've heard. And so it's really crazy to think that, you know, we will eat a bolus of carbs, like a massive amount of carbs. and you know, when people who are diabetic can have issues, but even people who are pre-diabetic, even that, the levels might go high, but they never equal the amount of sugar that you're eating. So the body does a really good job, even people who struggle with high blood sugar, at keeping that regulated. So stepping back just to paint a broad picture, obviously you can take in carbohydrates or sugar, and that is a source of sugar entering your bloodstream, or your liver can release stored sugar or carbs in the form of glycogen into the bloodstream. Actually, fun fact, the majority of the sugar, blood sugar that you have in your bloodstream, including in diabetics, is not from what you're eating. It's from the liver releasing it, which is just something interesting to think about. The third way would be the liver can actually make sugar if it doesn't have sugar. Those are the three inputs. And then On the flip side, like Erica's talking about, what's removing the sugar from the bloodstream is insulin, which is being regulated by the pancreas. And so there's a lot of nuance here. And so if you're taking in something that has carbs in it, presumably that's going to lead to a blood sugar spike, 
which would go down because you have insulin. So in this case, taking in, uh, she's talking about creamer and their coffee. And so it's hard to know the actual creamer. So this could be a creamer with carbs in it, or it could be a creamer without carbs in it. If it had carbs in it and the glucose didn't rise, then yes, presumably (laughs) insulin put the carbs into storage. And so they're not in the bloodstream. If the creamer really didn't have many carbs and it was fat, and this is something that I think people get confused about as well, fat is very easily stored. It doesn't necessarily require insulin to be stored. So a reason that you could take in fat and not see a blood sugar rise, and it's not because you like put energy into your bloodstream and insulin got rid of it. It could be that insulin just wasn't even required. And the reason I'm saying all of this, and sorry if this is like a lot of information, people are so unique. So they'll do studies where they have people basically getting a continuous infusion or injection of both insulin and glucose, and they can see how much insulin is required to keep the glucose level. So basically how much insulin do you require to take in this blood sugar and not see any effects, any bump in your blood sugar level? And the reason that's important and the reason it relates to Erica's question is that's going to be different. It's not like everybody requires X amount of insulin to take care of X amount of carbs. So in this situation where the glucose didn't rise and she's asking, well, should it have dropped lower? It's completely an individual basis. Some people they might release the perfect amount of insulin that they perfectly store it and it doesn't rise. Some people might release a little bit more insulin and so it actually drops lower than before, which would be the situation she was talking about at the end. Or if there wasn't even carbs in it and it was just fat, which is a possibility, insulin might not have been released at all because insulin wasn't required and there wasn't bump. That was a lot of information. Cynthia, thoughts? No, I think you did a beautiful job, but the big kind of takeaway is fat has a much more negligible impact on blood sugar response. And so that could explain why there hasn't been, there's kind of this negligible response. And so I think it's important to kind of delineate and discuss how blood sugar works because I think it's, it's oftentimes very misunderstood. I think people think about it as in a very linear fashion. It's just one way, but there are multiple ways the body can impact blood sugar, insulin release, et cetera. I actually learned about something recently that I'm shocked I didn't know about earlier. Like I'm very shocked. I used to always think that I had reactive hypoglycemia. I don't know if it's necessarily the example she gave, but it's sort of like the example she gave where if you eat something and then your body releases too much insulin and your blood sugar drops lower than it was before and you get feelings of having low blood sugar. And I always used to assume that's what was going on and maybe it was, but actually I didn't know there was something called idiopathic postprandial syndrome. And that's actually where it feels like reactive hypoglycemia. So it feels like you ate and your blood sugar dropped But if you were to actually test your blood sugar, it would be high. And what's so cool about the reason that, well, I don't know if it's cool, but the the reason that's happening, there are like theories about it, but it's likely because the body's trying so hard to control the blood sugar level that you get all of those hormonal feelings of, you know, like anxiety or shakiness or 
fatigue or adrenaline and it's your body trying to control things rather than actually being low blood sugar. I'm just surprised I didn't know that until like a month ago. Well, the word idiopathic really just means we don't understand why this happens. So it would really be a diagnosis of exclusion when they've ruled out everything else. But I think when we talk about reactive hypoglycemia, those are typically the people that get sweaty, they get diaphoretic, they get dizzy, they feel nauseous. They can get pretty symptomatic. And I, I think many years ago when I was in school, we used to think of that as being very benign. But I look at it as it's sometimes that first stage of beginning stages of identifying that your your cells are not well adapted to insulin. I just find it so interesting that you can have that exact experience and not have low blood sugar. And that's a, like a thing. Gotta love the word idiopathic for... Idiopathic means we don't understand why. That's, that's basically what that means. Like people are like, oh, it- but it makes it sound fancy. Exactly. And I'm like, it's really not. It means we don't understand why this happens and you're in this bucket. Love it. Love it. Love it. I take AG1 several times a week after working out and when I'm ready to break my fast. And it really makes me feel unstoppable. I love to add it to a protein smoothie or actually will drink it with filtered water. And I love both variations. My 17-year-old also enjoys AG1 after a workout to ensure he stays really well hydrated. A great deal of what I focus on in my personal life is ongoing gut health improvement. And I do feel fundamentally that AG1 has contributed significantly to improvements in my gut health over the last three years. I feel as if the key health benefits from multivitamins, minerals, pre and postbiotics all work together synergistically to improve my gut microbiome. And AG1 is way more than just greens. It's important to note that it's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that deliver incredible benefits to the gut microbiome, as well as sleep support, assistance with energy, and so much more. So if you want to take full ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I find that these five free travel packs are so convenient when you're traveling. In fact, I was in Los Angeles last week and I used one each day that I was away. Go to athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast. That's athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast and check it out. Shall we answer a question from Catherine? Absolutely. So this is from Catherine and the subject is IF weight and fat gain. And Catherine says, hi, I've read so many books and products you have recommended. I love this lifestyle and I love your books and podcasts. I've been wanting to write for a while and I kept telling myself I just needed to figure it out on my own. But as time goes by and my weight and fat keep creeping up, I thought I'd better seek your wise counsel. I began intermittent daily clean fasting the first week of August, 2019. I began my IF journey to maintain a weight loss of over 100 pounds, but I have gained 20 pounds since starting IF. I'm 57 and five feet, six and a half inches. I walk 2.5 miles daily. I play pickleball. What is pickleball? I don't know. I think it's like a smaller bat. Pickleball, according to Google, is an indoor or outdoor racket paddle sport. Like you said, like tennis with with little small paddles. (laughs) (laughs) she's probably English. Oh, yes. Okay. So she plays pickleball 
and or does it work out a few times a week? Before IF, I was counting macros and every calorie I consumed or burnt daily to not regain, and I was successfully maintaining and still losing, but it was not fun at all, and I did not feel well. After dieting off and on my entire adult life and being overweight my entire adult life, I finally lost weight with the ideal protein diet. I think I heard Jen's recommendation to continue your current way of eating and add IF, but I did not follow that advice. Also, although I know it is not what you two would recommend, I just think I went overboard with eating what I had been denying for so long. I know that is not advice, but after limiting carbs and or fat for so long, I just went for it. I love the simplicity of delaying and freedom of not denying, but fear I have taken it too far. She said, I usually fast for 19 to 20 hours and have a two to five hour eating window. Typically, I have a shorter eating window on weekdays, one to two hours, and sometimes we'll lengthen it on weekends to three to five hours. I eat a healthy, typically paleo supper meal each day. I think my problem might be too much of a snack before and after that healthy meal. I started out between 125 to 130 pounds in August, wearing a size four to six with very little fat on my bones and coming from a very restricted diet. I now weigh 145 and I can see fat on my body. I can still wear the same jeans, but not all my clothes from 20 pounds ago. I feel great. I feel healthy. I look healthier. My hair is glowing, but I really like the number 125 and I really liked seeing myself skinnier. If I'm completely honest, I looked pretty gaunt at 125. I do look healthier now. I hear all the stories of weight loss and feel I should have at least been able to maintain my weight with IF. Honestly, I could probably be happy with 135. I do not want to continue gaining weight. I'm wondering if I need to deny sugar and chocolate indefinitely as it is probably a trigger for me. Should I start counting the calories of my snack or dessert? Is there anything you can recommend for me? I will not go back to dieting. I am IF for life. Thank you so much for your books and podcasts. I have learned so much from you. I so look forward to your direction and thank you in advance. Well, Catherine, thank you for your question and congratulations on the progress you've made. A lot of what I, I hear in this, this question is you really like one number, but you feel healthier, better. Your hair looks healthier at a different weight. And herein lies a lot of the problem in the weight loss industry. We get very fixated on numbers and I would say that, and I'm speaking to you as a clinician, that at a minimum, I would get some basic lab work done so that you can see you know, where your triglycerides are and your HDL and look at your fasting insulin and your glucose, your A1C, really get a sense of you know, your thyroid and sex hormones to see really where you are. 125 pounds is pretty thin for a five foot seven female. And you yourself mentioned that you looked gaunt. And, and from my perspective, it's really stepping back and objectively saying, what is driving the focus on that number? Because it sounds to me that you actually feel better at a different number. I would say the other thing, and, and this is kind of a resounding theme for me, is that if you're only eating within a very short window, are you eating enough food? Because your body could be perceiving that you are not eating enough food, that you're starving, and it's going to hold on to every single calorie and morsel of food. Really making sure that your meals are structured, focused on protein, as well as non-starchy vegetables. You know, you may be craving chocolate and sweets because you're not getting enough food. And so I really think you need to objectively and honestly look at, are you eating enough food in your feeding window? You may not be. 
and checking in with your primary care provider, your internist, your GYN to get some baseline labs, I think is a really important first step. And then also giving yourself grace. There is so much focus in our society on weight numbers instead of focusing on health and you know what allows you to go out and play your sports and to walk and doing all the things that you're doing. It, it doesn't sound like for you that you want to track macros and that's okay. I would really try to be deliberate about getting in enough protein in your diet. And we usually focus in on hundred grams a day of hundred grams per pound of ideal body weight and really focused in on healthy fats and non-starchy vegetables and also, you know, that that mindset shift. And there, I know both Melanie and I have interviewed Dr. Glenn talking a lot about our relationship with food. And I, I think that those interviews would be super helpful to kind of hear his perspective. And he talks about the inner pig, not that we're a pig, but the inner pig in our brain that's telling us to behave a certain way. And make sure you're getting enough sleep and make sure that you're, you know, you have great relationships with loved ones and making sure that you feel satisfied in your personal life, I think is is certainly a very, very important part of this. But the concerns that come up for me are, are you eating enough? And, you know, having this, this fixation on a number that may not be a healthy number for you to be at. Like I have had so many female patients that will say, I want to weigh what I weighed at 18. And yet this is 20, 30 years later, and it's woefully not realistic for them to weigh what they did at 18 years old when they probably weren't nourishing themselves or probably not getting enough sleep, et cetera. Melanie, what are your thoughts? First of all, I love all of that that you said, and I agree. (laughs) And so I wanted to clear up one little thing. So she says that she had heard Jen's recommendations about continuing your current way of eating and adding IF, so not changing the way you're eating. And what's interesting about Catherine's situation is, so Jen's perspective on that, it's normally not Catherine's situation. It's normally people who are coming from like a standard American diet. And Jen says, start IF rather than cleaning up your diet at the same time. Whereas Catherine's situation, she was on a really restrictive diet. And so she did quote change when she started IF because instead of staying on the restrictive diet, she started, you know, eating much more freely, which the two clarifications there is that I think, I don't want to put words in Jen's mouth, but I think Jen would be more on board with that concept actually. And then two, I actually, I I think people can do it either way, but I, I actually don't have a problem with people starting IF and making dietary changes at the same time. I actually think it's really great. Like I think it's, if people want to like start, especially if coming from a standard American diet and they want to make like a healthy whole foods type choices at the same time as they start IF, I think that's great. So I just wanted to clarify on that. So I think everything that Cynthia said that, you know, that lower weight that Catherine was at might not necessarily be a sustainable weight if you want to maintain certain health and energy related goals at the same time. So really what you have to ask yourself, because I'm actually, I'm goal, am I goal agnostic? I'm goal agnostic for other people. I personally believe that our goal should be health and wellness and energy and vitality. But also I believe that, you know, people can have whatever goals they want. It's their body. You can pursue what you want to have in your body. And for some people, if they want to be a thinner weight that requires dietary restriction, 
I mean, you can do that. It might not be a healthy approach to life and it might be hard to maintain. I mean, cause Catherine experienced that she was calorie counting. She was macro counting. She wasn't enjoying her life. She didn't feel as good. So that might just be what is required to have been at that weight. And so you just have to ask yourself, is that what you want? And what I am wondering though, is I think there actually is a lot of room stepping back. I know you did actually physically gain weight because you you say with an exclamation point how you can see the fat on your body. But I also do wonder if making this change from having been calorie restricted and being in a calorie deficit to sounds like you're kind of just, you know, going and like eating all the things. I wonder if there's a level of like inflammation that came along with that style of eating. So there might be a happy medium. This is just an idea, but there might be a happy medium that doesn't actually require calorie counting, doesn't require macro counting, doesn't require restriction, where you're just cleaning up those food choices that you are making. I think that might be a place to start rather than trying to go the restriction route. So Cynthia was talking about the importance of like a high protein diet and the green vegetables. And so maybe having a mindset shift where what are the healthiest foods you can put in your body in your eating window? What is the healthiest way you can approach your snack and your dessert if you have them? Can you possibly have other versions? Can you not have the snack or can you have other versions of the dessert and snack that might be more fulfilling or healthier for your body? I would just maybe approach it more from a health mindset with the food choices rather than a restriction mindset, because I think it's completely 100% possible for you to actually have all the goals, which would be the energy and the skin and feeling amazing in your body from that perspective and also being at a weight that makes you happy. And it doesn't necessarily require restriction. Any thoughts to that? I do fervently believe a lot of it's a reframe. So really thinking about your relationship, not only with your body, but with food as well can be very, very helpful for sure. Also, I love that you brought up Glenn Livingston. He's honestly one of my favorite people on the planet. His book, again, it is called Never Binge Again, which is a little bit of a misleading title because it's not just for people who are struggle with binge eating disorder, but it's really wonderful for that mindset shift and reframing how you are seeing food, your cravings, your wants, your desires. I find it very helpful. It's a great book. I actually, I think twice this week already, I suggested it that episode to women in different groups. I love that. I love that. All right. Shall we go on to our next question? Absolutely. I'm excited for this question because it's a Cynthia question. So this comes from Lydia and the subject is IF and palpitations. And Lydia says, hello, I'm Lydia. And recently, July 11th, to be exact, began doing intermittent fasting. I purchased Delay Don't Deny and listen to the podcast regularly as well as join the Facebook groups. Well, I soon began to have heart palpitations and I have read that maybe I was dehydrated. I upped my water intake. I added Himalayan salt occasionally, but I was really having a bad time with the palpitations. They especially occurred when I lay down for whatever reason. I'll be seeing a cardiologist soon after getting an electrocardiogram and after wearing a Holter monitor for 48 hours. But after I stopped doing the clean fasting and I stopped longer fast, the palpitations are mostly gone. So is it possibly dehydration after all? Have you heard of others having this issue? I was so happy to have lost 10 pounds by August 14th, but now I'm slowly gaining back since I haven't been clean fasting. 
By the way, my starting weight was 167 and I'm about 5'6". Now I'm back to 161 after getting to 157 by August 14th. Thank you, Lydia. Well, Lydia, this is my wheelhouse. So the listeners know that my whole background as an NP was in ER med and cardiology. And the one thing that I know a lot about is our palpitations, you know, ones that are benign but annoying, and dehydration. And I would absolutely agree that if you are going to fast, you need electrolytes. And yes, Himalayan sea salt is great if you're salting your meals, but you actually need a more comprehensive product than that, one that is going to provide potassium and magnesium and sodium and chloride. And so anytime anyone is fasting, especially in summer, it's really, really important that you're replacing those electrolytes. And it more than likely, I would imagine that the palpitations are probably precipitated by low magnesium. And this is more often than not the electrolyte in particular that I see most people are not keeping optimal levels of. And really the blood test that you want to ask for when you see the cardiologist and any cardiologist will order this is a red blood cell magnesium. It's much more accurate, but also doing a comprehensive metabolic panel. It sounds like they're doing quite a big workup if they're doing a Holter as well as an EKG. And if you're seeing an association of fasting correlated with the palpitations, and now that you are stopped the clean fasting and stopped longer fast and the palpitations are almost gone, then I think, you know, oftentimes we'll say correlation is not causation, but this is clearly a a relationship that sounds like it is directly related to the dehydration you're probably experiencing by not replacing the electrolytes in a fasted state. So one thing I, I teach people when they're fasting for the first time is that electrolytes are critically important, especially if perhaps at that time, you lowered your carbohydrate intake. And we know when you tend to be lower carb, you have release of glycogen, which is stored sugar, and you'll actually urinate out more electrolytes, including sodium. And so it's it's very, very important that you're replacing that. And there's lots of clean options. I have a product called Simply Hydration. There's Element and many other options that are out there. The other thing is you mentioned that your weight fluctuated from 161 to 157 pounds it is not at all uncommon, depending on what we're eating and drinking, that our weight could fluctuate by three to five pounds. And so I, I don't know what age you are, but that can happen around our menstrual cycles. It could happen if we had a lot more carbohydrates. And so I, I wouldn't get too concerned about four pounds. It's always kind of over the period of time. There's a colleague of mine that always talks about there's the the hell no weight, you know, it's, you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is five pounds over where I generally am average wise. And then it's time to kind of ratchet in on, on the, the cleaner eating. So I would absolutely follow up with your cardiologist. Sounds like they're doing a really nice job. I would focus on comprehensive electrolyte replacement and especially in a fasted state, more hydration, more electrolytes, and recognizing that there is that interrelationship and it's probably related to low magnesium. And I'm, I'm actually setting Melanie up so that she can talk about magnesium. I love that. Well, first of all, for listeners who might not be familiar, Cynthia, what is your background in cardiology? Well, it's interesting. I did general cardiology, but then when I transitioned into to predominantly doing office setting I worked with a lot of our electrophysiologists who are specialized cardiologists that do defibrillators and pacemakers and deal with arrhythmias. And when I tell you that I know magnesium backwards and forwards, more often than not, even in the benign arrhythmias, 
it was magnesium that was precipitating episodes. And more often than not, in the lethal arrhythmias, things that originate from the ventricles, which are the bottom chambers of the heart, it was magnesium that was driving some of those symptoms. So when I tell you that I know magnesium well, I've gotten very creative over the years with magnesium replacement. And we could certainly, if Melanie, if you want to, we can talk about other ways to replace magnesium, either with transdermal applications or soaking our legs or taking products by mouth all can be very, very helpful when getting our magnesium levels back up. Yes. So, um, well, first of all, I just love that you have that that background and that knowledge. I will put in a plug for Element. Cynthia mentioned them, but we do have an offer for them. So they're a, a full spectrum electrolyte supplement. So not just magnesium, it's magnesium, potassium. Sodium chloride. Duh, sodium. So you can go to drinklmnt.com forward slash podcast, and we have an offer there. So, and I believe the the offer right now should be to get free electrolytes at that link. So definitely check that out. And then, yes, it is so, so exciting that Cynthia is on board and, you know, on the same page as me about the importance of magnesium. So many people are deficient in magnesium and I'm actually not for like taking all the vitamins all the time. And I, I think it should be very nuanced and specific to the individual and that when possible, we should try to get our nutrients from food. That said, it's really hard to get adequate magnesium levels today. Our soils are depleted. So it's been estimated that in the past 100 years, the soil levels of the magnesium have gone down by 90%, which is crazy. And then on top of that, that's just like the actual levels of magnesium. That doesn't account for the fact that pesticides and glyphosate in the soil actually chelate magnesium. So a lot of that magnesium isn't even available to the body to be used in its proper form. And then on top of that, it's potentially toxic because it's attached to a pesticide. So the fact that most people are deficient is no surprise. And so like Cynthia said, there's a lot of ways that you can boost and raise magnesium levels. I recently released my magnesium eight by Avalonex and I formulated it to honestly be the best magnesium on the market. I promise it is the best because I wanted to make the best. So it is eight forms of magnesium in their most bioavailable forms. It comes with methylated B6 to help with absorption, not the non-methylated form which is often used in supplements. And then it has manganese because magnesium can often displace manganese. And then it's in a glass bottle because I am not about plastics leaching into our bodies and the environment, which by the way, Cynthia, I, I just booked a guest I'm really excited about, Matt Simon. He's a head editor at Wired and he has a book coming out in 2022. He has some other books, but um, his book coming out in 2022 is about the effects of microplastics in the environment. I'm so excited because <laughs> I think that's a really big problem. So I'm really excited to read his book and, and learn about that. Oh, and this was crazy. So like one of my best friends from college ever works at Wired. So I was like, I don't, I emailed him. I was like, I don't know how, how many people are on staff at Wired, but do you know my friend? And he's like, oh yeah, we sit next to each other in the office. It's like such a small world. So all of that to say, you can get my magnesium eight. That is at avalonx.us. The coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 10% off. I think we will have launched subscriptions by the time this comes out. So if you get a subscription for that, you can get actually 15% off Cynthia. So the other ways of getting magnesium would be like transdermal, 
I like a product called Ancient Minerals that we will link up. Uh, you can spray that into two cupped hands and rub it on your, I usually say trunk, like upper arms, legs, trunk. And if your skin tends to be sensitive, you want to pick the sensitive skin formulation, but you can leave that on for 20 minutes and then rinse off. That's super efficacious. So, so good resources there. So hopefully that helps Lydia. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Do we have time for one more question? Sure. Our next question is from Sarah. Subject is positive side effects. I've been doing IF since the first of the year as an experiment just to see how it worked for me. Your podcast has been a valuable resource for me, and I'm grateful for all your tips. I don't need to lose any weight or gain energy. 
but I was tired of constantly thinking about when and what I was eating to get maximum nutrition benefits. I felt like I was either eating or preparing to eat all the time. Needless to say, IF has changed that with the shorter afternoon window, usually 3 to 8 p.m. I have always eaten a pescatarian diet with a balance of nutrients. I do enjoy at least a small processed food snack a day like Chex Mix or Cheez-Its, and I have not changed my diet at all. I am so much less stressed about food, and I think I can finally achieve the rest and digest state. One of the positive side effects that I have noticed in myself that I don't think I have heard you discuss is the change to my bowel movements and the decrease in gas. I often had gas in the evenings and carried gas X in my purse at all times. I have not needed to take it on the last two months. Also, sorry if this is TMI, but my bowel movements were previously very soft. Since intermittent fasting, I noticed my bowel movements are now more solid and easier to clean. Just wondering if this is truly a result of intermittent fasting and why the change. Thanks and keep up the good work, Casey. Thank you so much for your question. And we're very excited for you that you've experienced so many wonderful effects with intermittent fasting. Earlier, Cynthia was using the phrase correlation, not causation, and how it's hard to know. But I would say it's very likely that if the only thing you perceived as having changed was IF, and then you had this substantial change in your bowel movements, then it's probably related to IF or changes from IF that, you know, led to this. I mean, it's a good problem to have. So I'm happy that we're not trying to like find the problem and solve it, but there are so many, so many different things that could be going on for why you might experience better bowel movements by not eating constantly. It gives our GI tract, it allows for the natural peristalsis of the intestine and it allows things to be moving. So it can create a better like synchronicity and rhythm to your system where your digestive system has time to rest, to clean out with those cleansing waves and not have things build up that are creating gas. It also might be, you talk about how now finally when you're eating, you feel like you're in the rest and digest state. So the parasympathetic state, that is so, so important for properly digesting our food, for creating stomach acid to digest our food, enzymes, so the fact that you are just likely digesting your food better could be a huge reason that you're not having, you know, gas anymore. You're having better, more well-formed bowel movements. It's just helping your body process food better. And then the effects on the gut microbiome. So there's a lot of effects that could be happening there. It's possible that this change with the fasting is actually supporting a more favorable gut population. There have been studies on fasting finding favorable effects on the gut microbiome, so it's possible that you've had changes there. Cynthia, thoughts? I would echo your sentiments, and I think a lot about the migrating motor complex. And so, in our digestive system, you know, we really do need four to five hours between meals to allow this sweet sweeper of the GI tract to be able to do its magic. And and there's so much good research talking about the gut microbiome and the benefits of eating less frequently. And is it any surprise that, you know, your your digestive processes is now in a position where it can properly package up and get rid of waste. And so not at all surprised to hear that your bowel movements are much more solid. You know, we use that Bristol stool scale. Melanie, have you seen that before? Have I? You're talking to like the... <laughs> You know, we want to, we aim for the four. That's kind of what we're working towards. And so it just shows that your body is 
you know, your stool is, there's enough time for your body to break down, absorb nutrients, get rid of what doesn't belong. You're not dehydrated. I think our stool is really one of many indicators of our health. So bravo and excited that you've had seen so many benefits so quickly. I probably shouldn't share this. I should probably envision the like thousands of people listening before I say this. It's funny because they'll do things. I don't know who they is. Like you'll see things where people say, eat something really pigmented so you can kind of figure out how long your transit time is, you know, like do like a beet test or like a blueberry test. We used to do corn. Okay. Or corn. And it's funny, whenever I see that, I'm like, wait, doesn't everybody always monitor that? Like, <laughs> like I'm like monitoring that 24-7. You're hilarious. No, it's it's interesting. So there's a program that I teach in the fall called Restart. I think it's week two. I actually have them bring corn to class and they ingest like two tablespoons of corn. And then they let me know how long it is before they see it in their stool. I had an intake form with the doctor and he's like, we're going to do this. I was like, I do that every day. I can already tell you that. They're like, I'm an ideal patient. I already know the answer to that question. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go, we will put links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. Those will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 282. A reminder to everybody to definitely go to shieldyourbody.com slash RSD for Radiation Safety Day. That's where you can learn the two key rules to help protect yourself from EMF exposure for free and get entered to win a EMF blocking bed canopy worth $2,000, as well as a lot of other prizes, all for free. Lots of resources. That's shieldyourbody.com slash RSD. And again, the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 15% off if you would like to purchase anything from Shield Your Body. And there will be a full transcript in the show notes. So you can definitely check that out. And then lastly, if you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon and Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful, Cynthia, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.